Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelik. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelik. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most. I am your host, Eva Medelik, and I am just thrilled that you have chosen to spend your time with me today. You know, my intention for this show is to help you get clear on what matters most and to bring on guests that will give you the tools to focus on your priorities. How you spend your time, your effort, and your energy is a direct reflection of your values and priorities. And we all have different circumstances and challenges in our lives, but we are a production of our decisions and not of our circumstances. So it's time for us to protect our precious time and get clear on what's important now. Now, originally, I was going to have a guest on to talk a little bit about what's going on in the, in the world today as far as workplace culture is concerned, but something apparently happened and that guest was not able to show up. So hopefully we can get her back on another time. But what I do want to talk to you about is how to have success without sacrifice. Oh, it looks like my guest did join. Oh my goodness. Well, she just joined in the nick of time. Let me let her in now. And we are on with Janine Hamner-Holman. Hi, Janine. We're on live already. We didn't know if you were going to show up. I'm so happy that you have decided to join us today. That is wonderful. So welcome. Welcome to What's Important Now, Making Time for what matters most in your life. So I hope everything's okay. Let me just check in with you. Everything is totally fine. You know that thing that happens sometimes where you go to where the link should be and it wasn't there. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna check over here. I'm gonna check over there. But I found you and I am glad to be here and all is well. Well, I am so happy that you have been able to join us today. And so let me just start by reading your bio a bit, okay? So Janine Hamner-Holman is an internationally recognized speaker, author, and expert on conscious leadership, DE&I, organizational development, neurobiology, and what it takes to attract and retain world-class talent. She is the CEO of J&J Consulting Group and the co-founder of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Professional Association. That's a mouthful. That's currently in formation. And Janine is a contributing author to On the Shoulders of Mighty Men, Mighty Women, excuse me, that's due out late later this month, and the host of the podcast, The Cost of Not Paying Attention. So I'm so happy to have you as our guest today. And that means I don't have to do the show solo. Yay. <laughs> Which is always fun with um you know, live events and live shows. So I appreciate our audience for being patient with us as we get things figured out here technically. And um, Janine, what I usually do is I ask my guests the same question coming in and it is, who are you and what is important now for you? Hmm. That is a 
great question. And I, I love questions that are, are like that, like, who am, who am I, which is a big question, and what's important for me now? And it's also, it's kind of like, who am I called to be now in this moment in time is also sort of the way that I hear that. So who I am is a business owner, is a wife, is a daughter, is a, a stepmom, is a person who has always felt called to do something about the things that felt in my heart like this just this isn't how it's supposed to be and i remember as a kid going to i was brought up in a church regardless of what you feel about organized religion today um it was an important part of my upbringing. My grandfather was actually a minister and not, not in a part of organized religion um, that I particularly love, although I dearly loved my grandpa. And it gave me a window through which to look at the world that I still really appreciate my mom was a religious scholar and and a and a historian. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. And and so one of the things about my growing up in a community of faith was that I had the opportunity to sort of look in a different way than a kid might normally look at these characters who were in both the um, the Old Testament, the the Jewish uh, texts, as well as in the Christian texts, and sort of who was this person who was Jesus of Nazareth? And and the reality is, he was he was a rabble rouser. He was somebody <laughs> who who looked at the world and thought, okay, this is not. This is not fair. This is not just. This is not right. And felt called to do something about it. So how does that affect how you're showing up today? Like who you are now? I think it affects how I show up today all over the place. Um, All over the place. I love that. You and I I met uh, about three and a half months ago um, at the U.S. Navy's first summit on diversity. And... I will speak for myself. I was immediately drawn to you. It's like, ooh, this woman's got some interesting things going on. And one of the things that you and I talked about is the fact that as a woman who is in A, the body of a woman, and B, in the body of a white woman, um, I, I started my life as a community organizer uh, for social justice causes and issues. And... I have, I have spent a lot of time in rooms being told, this is not your fight. This is not your problem. This is not, like, you can be an ally, maybe, but this is, this is not your 
problem to solve. This is not your issue. Now I'm interested in hearing who specifically told you that because I'm coming from a, a vantage point as a, as a woman of color, as a person of color, as a woman of color, my vantage point is it's all hands on deck. We can't do it without our, our white brothers and sisters, our white allies. We can't do this work. So let me just back up a little bit to give yeah. our listeners a little bit more about what you do, mm-hmm. <laughs> what problems that you solve. So give us a little bit more clarity around the work that you're doing now, now that we've had that, that influence of your amazing family and your realization that um, for you to be, and I'm paraphrasing here, more like yeah. Jesus, you get to be a bit of a rabble rouser too. So tell Amen. us about the problems <laughs> that you solve and the work that you're doing now. Yeah. So what I do is what in the world of HR is called organizational development. And so really what that is, is working inside of companies or organizations. I work with nonprofits and uh, municipal organizations as well. Working inside of an organization on the things that are happening with the human capital, the things that people are doing or not doing that is creating mischief inside of the organization. So we know that right now we are in the midst of what is being called often the great resignation. And so why are people leaving in the way that they are? And what's important to understand about this great resignation, I was I did a presentation uh, to the California HR, at the California HR convention about a month ago I was talking about this, and one of the things that I was talking about is that it used to be, for the last 20 years, about two and a half to three million people every month quit their job. So this is not people who are retiring. This is not people who are being laid off. This is not people who are being fired. This is people who are making a decision to quit their job. It's been about two and a half, 2.7 million people on average for the last 20 years. We are now and have been since November of last year at approximately four and a half million people quitting their jobs every month. So that's for the last seven months. We've been almost double. So that's monthly resignation? It is monthly. And the first number you gave was also monthly, the two and a half. Yes, okay. about two and a half, 2.7 million people on average for the last 20 years, every month worldwide, nationwide, have been quitting their job. Now, are they quitting to go to a new job? Or what is, you know, what's happening after the quitting is what I'm curious about. Yeah. And so here's the thing that's really different. So you're a little younger than me, but as you and I were growing up in the world of work, it used to be that we would not quit our job unless we had a new job waiting for us. Our parents were born in the Great Depression or came up during the Great Depression. So like you did not quit your job without a safe place to land. The thing that's different today is that the millennials and the Gen Z, and here's the thing y'all, regardless of what we might think about those generations, in two years, 
they are going to be 75% of the workforce. So it no longer matters what we think about them. <laughs> I love that you say that because right? I'm, I'm a parent of millennials. Me <laughs> so too. I, I'm the stepmother. <laughs> I'm, I'm opinionated about them. Right. So but the oldest of them are now 41 years old. Mm-hmm. The elder millennials, they call themselves. The elder yeah. millennials, right. Yeah. So these are no, I mean, <laughs> my kids, your kids, we still think of them as kids. And in some, some ways they are, and in some ways they're not. And in two and a half years, 75% of the workforce will be them. So they are changing fundamentally the way that, world, the way that the world works. And they are willing to quit their job, not having a new job lined up. Mm. And the biggest reason that they are quitting. So MIT just did a study that said that the biggest reason that they are quitting is what they they put in a bucket called toxic organizations. The number one thing inside that bucket, organizations either not paying attention to, not doing anything meaningful on, or just paying lip service to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. The other That's thing powerful. is in that, That's powerful. right? It's powerful. The next thing's in that bucket, not feeling listened to and being disrespected. Those three things together, 10.4 times more important than compensation. So not just salary, salary and benefits is this toxic organization. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging not feeling listened to and being disrespected, the most important things. And so in reality, like that's what I do. I help organizations do things meaningful around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I help train them to really listen to their people and help their people feel and know and experience being heard and I clean up disrespect. And what does that do to their bottom line? It shoots it up. See, this is the thing. We often feel like, oh, you know, diversity, like that's that's a nice thing, or like we should all do that, or it's politically correct, or blah, 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 blah. blah. No. Organizations that are more diverse, according to Forbes, are 36% more profitable This is bottom line and top line profitability. If I told you you could do one thing and be 36% more profitable, wouldn't you do it? And yeah, like it takes something and we can talk about that. It takes something to do something real around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But if the number one reason that you're losing people is because you're not doing it, and if you do do it, you can be 36% more profitable. I tell you, that would make it worth it to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what you're saying is so powerful to, you know, retaining quality talent. And I couldn't help but think a couple of things. Number one, why is the workplace culture so toxic? Why is that to begin with? I mean, we've had a month of May in this country, in the United States, 
where there's been an uptick of an uptick, I should say, of racial uh, hate crimes, yep. school shootings. We have um, women's rights uh, over their own body, their sovereignty over their own bodies and their choices uh, threatened to be taken away. Our politicians are unwilling to change laws in this country to protect um, rights of innocent victims and our, our sovereign rights as well. And when we come back from break, I want to dive in specifically with you about number one. So remind me if I forget. Number one, what makes the workplace culture so toxic and where did that come from? Yep. And I want to dive into the uptick of hate in the United States as well. Because there, there, there's so many things on our plates right now that we've got to be mindful of and our energy that we bring yeah. in, our mental energy, our emotional energy, our physical energy, all affects how we show up at work. It sure and, does. It, and it affects how we show up at home too. Right. So let's talk about these couple of things when we come back from break. So everyone, make sure you come back from break with me and my guest, Janine Hamden. Hamner Holman, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you. Great. I look forward to the rest of our conversation. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everyone. So I've been talking with my guest, Janine Hamner-Holman, who is an expert on conscious leadership. And so we've been in a bit of a discussion about um, workplace culture, um, toxic workplace conditions, and really what's kind of going on in the world today and 
what that has to contribute to how we, the culture that we're building at work. Now, Janine, I know you have a background in behavioral science. I do. Two things that I want to ask you. What do you think is the, the cause of workplace toxicity? And, and also, do you think there's a correlation or what do you think is correlated with the uptick in, in the hate crimes and the school shootings that are going on? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the uptick in hate first. They are related and they come from somewhat different places. So if you look at the incidences of people saying things that we would never have said, before the rise of social media. Because of the anonymity that people are able to create on social media, people have felt much more free to say mean things. And the reality is our brains are wired for negativity. The the key thing that our brain is most worried about is, am I safe? How about now? 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 How about now? Like, that's the, the most ancient part of our brain, the pain, part of our brain that got formed before speech. That's all it cares about. Am I safe? And if you've ever seen a squirrel where like a cat or a dog suddenly comes into the environment. It's on that kind of a hair trigger. Our desire, our need, our drive to feel safe is ancient and inherent and, and on a squirrel hair trigger. And with the rise of social media, it has enabled us to say things that we would, as I said, have never have said if we were talking with people in person. And let me let me ask you, let me just interject one second. Yeah. Because I think I'm hearing you say we now feel safer saying things on social media that we didn't feel safe saying to someone face to face or in a group or live, if you will. And it's the negative stuff. I mean, we feel safe to say positive stuff too. And so I, I want to make sure I don't lose that part of it. But Got it. we feel safe to say things that we would never have said before. We feel safe, as I said, both positively and negatively. We can reach out to people who are very different from us, who are posting things that we might never have said that are way more strident or aggressive or or just from a very different perspective than we would have had and we're able to say way to go like oh my gosh rock on that's that's great we're able to send these positive messages we're also able to send these less than positive messages which are usually coming from fear again because that's how our brain is wired it's very easy to make people afraid. It's why often politicians and certainly 
demagogues will use fear tactics because it's very easy to tap into people's sense of fear, people's sense of things. My life isn't going the way that I want it to or that I thought it would. And in reality, who among us? Like Bill Gates's life is not going like he thought it would. Nobody's life is, you know, puppies and unicorns and rainbows. That's just not how life is. And it so, is if you're a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're a it puppy, is if you are a well-loved dog. True story, but, true story. You know, and and the I same with us it. as as human beings, you know. Right. We we if need you're a we need love. human, things are better. And just like we have dysfunction in our family, we have dysfunction in our organizations, we have dysfunction in our societies. And so well, what do you think is contributing? You know, I, I hear what you're saying about the the, the hate crimes, the uptick in, yep. in hate and shootings and, and everything that we've just emotionally had to deal with, especially the, the, the first half of May. But when it comes to the workplace culture of toxicity, I have an idea, but you're the expert here. I want to hear... <laughs> Why, you know, I, I'm thinking of that movie network where um, Albert Finney says, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take, take it anymore. And right. that's what the, the great resignation is about. Like they, they just right. had it so much and up to here with the office politics, the not feeling seen, heard and respected and really making money for other people, if you will. Right. While not feeling good and being stressed out, burnt out, and overwhelmed, which which I love to help my clients through that myself. Yep. But what that's is the superpower? That's my superpower for sure. But what is the original root cause foundation of people actually creating toxic environments in their workplaces? Where is that coming from? So it's it's coming from a couple of different places. So. As we look at the history of work, the reality is most companies are continuing to be led by white men, older white men. The companies that are being led by younger people, whether they are male or female, whether they are white, black, yellow, purple, orange, whatever, wherever they fall on the spectrum, those companies are being run in a different kind of way. And those companies still are yet far and few between. And so we have a history of organizational cultures being led by white men. And if you think about the way that boys are socialized, you know, girls are socialized to be nice and sweet and play well together. Boys are socialized to play with guns, to play with cars, and you have to win the race. Boys are trained to be competitive. It is where the dog-eat-dog organizational culture that is created by uh, people like Elon Musk and organizations like, uh, I just went up on the name, but, you know, big companies often have a Oracle, 
that's what I was trying to come up with, has a very dog-eat-dog created by Larry Ellison. You know, these, these sort of bigger, big personality men who have a dog-eat-dog. It is win or lose, and I will win at all costs. When you have that kind of mentality for an organization, what it creates is those kinds of toxic cultures where people are not prioritized, where the employee experience doesn't matter. What you're focused is on is the bottom line. The problem is, as the world of work has changed, as we have gone through this pandemic, as the millennials are coming up in the world of work, we have all of these confluent forces that are putting pressure on the world of work that actually have us realize that customer experience and therefore profitability is driven by employee experience. You can't have great customer experience when you've got employees that are unhappy. When you're, you know, when you're kicking the dog, the dog is gonna bite. And so when you are mistreating your employees, you're going to then get people on customer service or at the front lines dealing with customers who are rude and who are insensitive and who don't care about the customer experience. That's a great analogy, Janine, great analogy. And you brought to mind something that I'm currently reading. I'm currently reading a book by Robert Greene called The Daily Laws. Hmm. Um, And... I don't, I think I heard this book spoken about somewhere and I got interested. It's the daily laws of power. That's what I meant to say. Mm -hmm. The daily laws of power. And I felt like as I'm listening to it on Audible that I was given the secret societal handbook of white male supremacy, the white male patriarchy. Uh Because some of the things that are said in this in this book, if I can bring up my notes here, are really, it's win at all costs. Yep. It's, um, it's working to, to squash your enemy, just like you're talking about the to- toxic masculinity, I guess is the word right. we're both, we're both kind of dancing around here. Yep. The toxic masculinity, uh, find your enemy's weakness and pounce on it, right. win at all costs. And there's no, you know, when I did leadership and I did my leadership training, we looked at so many ways that we couldn't create a win-win of both. And it wasn't right. an either or now, will we be the richest billionaires in the world? Maybe not, but will we be happy and healthy and, you know, contributing more to an inclusive, safe, as you say, society by creating safe, inclusive spaces? I really harped on that word safe when you said that the, that we're wired for feeling safe. The bra- We want to feel safe as people. Our brains want to feel safe. And in that toxic male culture, it's impossible to feel safe. And this book, if you want the handbook of um, white male supremacy, this gives you all of the secrets. I mean, I literally was going to stop reading it. And I thought, no, I've just been given like the grand poobah of the KKK's secret handbook here. I want to know 
what's oh. going on in their minds and and learn ways to communicate that possibly can get through that. And, and I think that's part of the challenge that you might be finding in your work. I want to talk a little bit more about um, what you think we need to be more aware of. And when I say we, I mean these people that are creating these toxic cultures and that are starting to lose to the, the, the toxicity. Right. Some people are being energized by it and forming their own secret grand poopa societies of conspiracy theories and things. But what needs to be done in the workplace when it comes to our education and awareness? So one of the things that I love about what you're pointing to um, is that because we all have this need to belong, because, and it's, and it's part of why some of the work around diversity is now actually pointed at inclusion and belonging and less at diversity. Because in point of fact, when we are all at the table, when we are all included, we will de facto have diversity. We can't all be at the table and not have diversity. So when we're all at the table, and when we all have a feeling of belonging, when we all know that we are welcome there, that our voice matters and that our contribution is heard and matters, then we have equity. We, like, we, we've dealt with the issues once we get to inclusion and belonging. And the question of whether or not somebody who looks like me or somebody who looks like Bill Gates belongs at the table is also addressed if we're pointing at belonging and inclusion. And in point of fact, while I don't resonate with their values or their culture or anything that they're about, the KKK is at the table too. Like we're, we're all there. And part of the opportunity is for us to think about curiosity. I had the opportunity uh, last weekend to be around a child who was almost two years old. And that's such a magical age because like they, we, when we are two, because we all once were two, when we are two, we are curious about everything. How does this work? What does the pen taste like? What does dirt taste like? You know, we're getting into all kinds of mischief. My One of my all-time favorite ages of my kids, because they oh. also start to put words together to create sentences, and it's magical. Right. It's, and, and so you see how their brains are working. But what they're most interested in is, is that ultimate question of why, you know, why, why mama, why, why is the sky blue? Why, why is that lady fat? Why, you know, the questions that are innocuous and not so innocuous that they're always asking. They are curious. We are at our core curious beings. And so when we can get curious about other people, I mean, the world is littered with stories about how 
this person was a racist, a bigot, a misogynist, a, you know, anything that ends in ist. And then they met somebody who was gay or black or transgender or a woman or whatever it was. And they suddenly had a different experience. It's why the show Will and Grace changed our view. It's why All in the Family changed our view. All in the Family changed our view about Black people. We then had the Jeffersons and Good Times, and we then had these shows in the early 70s and and 1980s, and then a whole milieu of shows about the experience of Black people. Because All in the Family had broken through that barrier, because Archie Bunker, the world's biggest bigot, suddenly had a black neighbor who he liked and he realized like oh okay you're not you're not actually that different from me yeah and that's all it takes is either having right. someone in your family someone that you know and then you realize you know that we are all conscious beings of choice we we all feel we all have this need to love and we you know, it, it, it makes it different. It's, so, it's, it's no longer the unknown and scary and spooky. So we're going to take another break. And when we return, I want to talk more with you about how you help businesses in their diversity and inclusion leadership initiatives. You know, I've heard you say more than once that it really starts with the white people in power. So everybody, I want you to stay with us, come back and find out what Janine means by that. Okay, we'll be right back after these messages. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. 
Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. All righty now, we are back with Janine Hamner-Holman. And we are going to talk about who needs to initiate this work around diversity and inclusion, leadership initiatives in the workplace so that we can eradicate workplace toxicity. So I know when I've heard you speak before, Janine, you talked about the importance of training white people separate from their black and brown colleagues. Right. Tell us more about that. I want you to expand upon that because that had me sit up during your talk Mm -hmm. and go, Oh, this woman knows what she's talking about. (laughs) So here's the thing. Anytime that we're talking about diversity, and when I say diversity, I don't just mean the conversation that's been going on in the U.S. that has largely been a black and brown conversation for the last few years since the murder of Rodney, of um, George Floyd. George Floyd. Thank you. Um, I was like, Rodney Floyd, that's not right. Uh, George Floyd, thank you. Um, and, And there are good reasons that, as I said, that this has largely been for the last two years, a black and brown conversation, black and white conversation. And when we, when I am talking about diversity, I am talking about gender and race and ethnicity and socioeconomics and um, sexual identity and, you know, bio, neurobiodiversity. I mean, I'm talking about abled and disabledness. I'm talking about the whole breadth of who we are as, as a nation, as a people, as a world, the whole, the whole of us. So when we are thinking about diversity, we are always at some level looking at when either I have been made to feel less than or when I have made somebody else feel less than, or when people who look like me have made somebody else feel less than. And so there's always a level of either feeling bad about myself when I've been made to feel less than, or feeling angry, how dare you try and make me feel less than, or feeling guilt or shame. And when we are in those feelings, A, we have no power, and B, it takes something to work through that, to work through those feelings. And the reality is, whether we like it or not, just like the millennials are going to be 75% of the workforce, most organizations in the U.S. continue to be led by white, mostly male people. And so if we're asking people to look at the times that they have been made to feel less than, very hard for men. It's easier for women because of how we're wired. 
it's really hard for men to look at times when they have been made to feel vulnerable and then when they have made others feel less than or when people who look like them feel less than. It is virtually impossible to do that while you also have people of the oppressed groups in the room. So, you know, I just want to hang on that for a second because that's really, really powerful. And you are the only person that I've ever heard address that. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier about safety, about the psychological safety of being um, authentic, of being vulnerable, of being honest. And what I'm hearing you say now is when you're looking at the quintessential stereotype of the white male patriarchy, they are not going to feel safe in a room that has the very people that they have historically made feel less than. They are not going to feel safe showing that level of vulnerability, showing their, their shame, showing their, their guilt, showing their, their, um, their feelings around it. Right. And so I just kind of want to make that clear because that's a big deal. Yeah, That's a big deal. And what we're asking, what I've seen people asked to do, and probably I participated myself is put all everybody in the same, all the ingredients in the same big boiling pot. Right. Well, and we think that's what we're supposed to do. Right, right. So if we're talking about diversity, we have to have everybody in the room. And -hmm. if we're talking about diversity, for it to be authentic, it's got to be led by people of color. It's got to be led by people who are gay, or it's got to be led by women, or it's got to be led by... And the reality is they must be included. Absolutely. But the first work that an organization does, it can't be that. It's too much to get up over that resistance. If if I had never done any of this work and you and I were in a room together and I needed to look at, all right, so my whole family is from the South, going back to the 1700s. That's a trigger sandwich right there. That's just a a trigger sandwich that you're creating. And what I hear you say, and I've heard you say before, is the initial steps, the foundation to which we get to build the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives has to start with a separation, if you will. It, It has to, because I can't look at my, I can't look at my stuff, um, in an authentic way where I can really be vulnerable about it if I also feel threatened, if I also feel like you're going to be judging me at the same time that I'm trying to look at the fact that at some point, somebody in my family owns slaves. I will bet money on it. I have no evidence that that is true. But 
my my gut says that that is true. And because I've been doing this work for 30 years in one iteration or another, that sits in my stomach like shame. And I can't be with that and with your, or with, with, the with, story my pain. That I, with the story that I would make up in my head about your resentment towards me and at the same time with your pain. Powerful, powerful. It's that, that is the silver bullet right there. Right. I think that is the missing piece as we've been doing this work, like you've said, for years, and we still can't make any giant leaps. We're making right. baby steps, you know, let, let's be honest and let's, let's, you know, applaud the little baby steps, but we yeah. fall down a lot. We are still the toddler learning how to walk and we get a couple of steps and we're all excited and boom, we're down again. And then we're crying and we want to give up and we don't want to do this anymore. If, if right. that, that's a, an analogy right, that people can relate to. Yeah. Just we like, work hard. Walk is hard. Yeah. And what you have unpacked right there is so powerful because the number one way to create inclusive spaces is to create safety. Right. Because you're giving, we have seats at the table. We have seats at the table, but do we have a voice? Do we right. feel safe sharing our voice? Right. Are we so inward focused on, you know, if we were, if I was a white person on my shame, my guilt over the history of the white male patriarchy in America, is that so centered focus that I can't focus out on, you know, yes, it's true. And here's how I benefit from it. And I want to make sure that everybody gets a fair shot and gets treated equitably and feels safe in a room with me. Right. In a room with me, you know, you know, if, if I am an educated and evolved white man, I also realize it's not just that my family owned slaves. It's what we did. I mean, I'm, I'm also Cherokee Indian in my deep past. It's also what we did to the Native Americans in this country. It is also what we did to the, the Asian. Asian people in this country. I mean, we have a really long history of not of toxicity in so many toxic- ways. I and could use some stronger language, but we'll stick with toxicity for, correct. for live yes. radio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was very careful in using the word stuff earlier. Yeah, but let um, me ask you this, Janine. In the work that you do, yep. which I'm totally in love with, what are the specific challenges you are facing in bringing this work to? So the, the biggest single challenge that I am facing is an organization will say, we need to do something about this diversity thing. And I say, okay, great. Tell me why. Back to the two-year-old. Tell me why. And if what they say, which unfortunately they often say, is, well, we need, we need to show that we're doing something about it, or to get this grant, we need to have an affirmative action program, or to get this, you know, it's like, and in order to, mm, we need to do this in order to 
do something. Performative. Exactly. And what I say is, A, I'm I'm not your person. And B, I want to have a conversation with you about the possibility of doing something bigger. Because that's part of why we are where we are. For the last 70 years, we have been trying to do something about diversity, which was originally women and and is now a much larger conversation. And 90% of the things that we have done have failed. And so what I encourage organizations to do is to connect it to their mission, vision, and values. There you go. There you go. Because if our our value, if the most important thing for us as an organization is – great customer service, or the most important thing for us is a family feeling, or the most, you know, whatever that is for us, connect it to what you're doing around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. You always have to keep your eye on the vision. Everybody has to keep, and then you will make decisions that support and move forward your vision, your values, your goals, and your missions. Well, this has been amazing, Janine, and unfortunately, we're coming to a close. How can folks get in touch with you so that they can bring you into their workplace and clean up all this this toxic sewage that's all over the place? (laughs) You can get in touch with me a couple of different ways. So the easiest way is through LinkedIn. I am the only Janine... Hamner, Hamner Holman, there. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> so that's the easiest way. Um, and if you, you know, I would love to help curate a conversation with your organization, whether you're looking for a keynote speaker or whether you want to bring some of these distinctions to a staff meeting, whether you want to do a workshop or, you know, a five-year process to really take this on. Perfect. I do all of that work. So that's LinkedIn, Janine Hamner Holman. Awesome, Janine. And thank you for sharing the important work that you do. You know, this conversation has really been inspirational. And next week, you're going to want to join this one. My guest, Kasum Kremel, and I, we're going to be continuing on the similar vein of this conversation, this diversity conversation around dissecting whiteness. So that's going to be a really good one to tune in. I will be tuning in. (laughs) So I want to thank you for sharing your brilliance with us. I want to thank our listeners for choosing to listen to the show today. And I realize what an honor and a privilege it is to be the recipient of your time. And as Stephen Covey says, the key is in not spending time, but in investing it. So I appreciate your investment in time well spent with me and Janine today. So until next time, everyone, bye for now. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week. 